0: From the moment we're born and lock eyes with our parents, we are inspiring others. By showing up as a vessel of service, we not only help others, we help ourselves. Welcome to SOS Stories of Service, hosted by Teresa Carpenter, hear from ordinary people from all walks of life who have transformed their communities by performing extraordinary work.
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 43rd episode of Stories of Service, Ordinary People Who Do Extraordinary Work. And I am the host of Stories of Service, Teresa Carpenter. And welcome, like I said, to episode 43. So 43, we've already done. So that's very exciting. And I'm here with my friend, Joe Benton. Joe, how are you doing today?
0: Hi, how are you doing? Good to see you again.
1: Yes, good to see you too. It's always nice when I have a guest on who I know from other things and uh, didn't uh, just meet immediately on social media, but we were friends through another nonprofit uh, that we linked up together with. So I'm gonna read a little bit about you, Joe, and then we're gonna sure. get right sure. into the questions. Um, you're, uh, like I was saying earlier in some of the uh, show notes, you know, with the Johnny Depp trial on everybody's mind at the moment, at least on my mind, um, it's perfect timing for us to talk about the men in our lives and the struggles that they have To go deep into their stories as a professional communicator with decades of experience joseph benton has worked in public relations for a marine corps owned a newspaper taught marketing for several colleges including santa monica college and designed and hosted hundreds of websites he is currently rewriting two of his books that are currently out of print and spends most of his time as an instructional instructional designer and e-learning producer he and his wife veronica are proud parents of angelina he was diagnosed with PTSD with a disability rating in 2017 after having experienced the symptoms and problems associated with PTSD before he left active duty in 1991. He's lost a friend who served with him to suicide and lost another friend on active duty to suicide in 2021. And we're gonna be talking a lot about PTSD and suicide. So welcome to the broadcast.
0: Thank you. Glad to be here.
1: Yes, I'm glad that you're here as well. So and the it's, first not thing- a fun,
0: it's not a fun topic either.
1: No, no, it's not. But it's an important topic. And I think sometimes it's good to talk about those serious issues. And, um, you know, right now we are seeing a lot of struggles when it comes to men in the media, not just with Johnny Depp, but with Will Smith. Um, I I do believe that the trauma of men is sometimes overlooked for other uh, vulnerable populations. And I think it's really important to focus on this issue, uh, not even just PTSD and war, but PTSD when it comes to childhood trauma and anxiety and some of the other issues that I think so many of us struggle with. Uh, So first off, uh, I always love to get people's origin stories. So uh, can you tell me a little bit about where you're from and why you decided to join the Marine Corps?
0: Sure. Yeah. So um, originally I was born in uh, South Carolina, even though I grew up in Ohio. uh, My parents, um, you know, grew up in Ohio and for some reason, my dad decided to take them down to South Carolina. And, and we actually lived in Orlando, Florida for a short while. Um, I think that they were building Disney World, like at the time, it was so long ago. Anyways, oh, wow. um, so yeah, but we all moved back to Ohio. So all my memories were pretty much in Ohio. And um, when I was getting ready to graduate from high school, um, I didn't really have a whole lot of prospects as far as like what I wanted to do with my life. Um, it was pretty clear to me that I wasn't going to get a college education by myself or with you know with the help of my dad. And so uh, it was a a pretty attractive proposition to join the military and you know get college benefits, see the world. You know these were like the things that I really wanted to do. And so you know. Fortunately for me, I did get to see, uh, uh, I get to do two tours in Japan, which I really, really enjoyed. And I also uh, did take some college classes, which was really great. And it was, you know, pretty inexpensive. And uh, so, you know, it was uh, what, one of the other things that I wanted to do was I wanted to get some training in uh, radio, television, that sort of thing. And so I, I did that. I, during my eight years I did go to DINFOS, which is Defense Information School, and learned how to uh, kind of got certified in mm-hmm. working in radio and television. I actually did on-the-job training in Japan before I went to DINFOS. So I was sort of you know certified before I even went to the school. But having the school training really, I think, was a good thing. It's a well-respected school. A lot of well-known uh, entertainers are DINFOS graduates. And so uh, I think that that was a really good Really good deal. Really good uh, bargain. I really, uh, you know, I don't want anybody to have anything, uh, uh, you know, like wrong impression about the fact that I really enjoyed my service. Uh, And unfortunately, you know, at some point there was some things that happened uh, that indicated that I might have PTSD. Uh, So I don't know if we want to just jump into that now, but like,
1: yeah. Yeah, so I, about that. And so tell me what were those things that were happening that gave you those indications or, or that started. Okay. That?
0: Yeah. And so, you know, uh, for me, what happened was is that after I was done with desert storm, I deployed in desert storm and came back and I had a sort of weird public breakdown. Um, I had, been invited to attend this, uh, sort of post desert storm, uh, celebration at this local Hofbrau in Orange County. And unfortunately, <laughs> while I was there, even though that I was, you know, kind of enjoying myself and having a good time, they were, you know, sort of setting things up where they had a few of us who were, who had deployed, uh, you know, in this like stage kind of area and everybody was, you know, kind of, applauding us and, you know, started singing songs and stuff like that, you know, like I'm proud to be an American and all that sort of stuff. And I had a meltdown. Uh, It was not pretty. And uh, unfortunately, I blacked out. And I guess a couple hours had transpired. And I remember the next thing that I remember after having been on stage with everybody was that I was sitting at a table with the owner of the Hofbrau uh, and he was like really looking very worried about me and uh, so I didn't know what was going on and so I'm like you know what's going on and he told me what happened and I was like pretty embarrassed about what had happened so here's the thing that was not something that I had planned it wasn't really like i really had any idea what was going on like i said i blacked out but because that happened there was obviously something going on uh with you know i don't know it's my brain or you know some kind of mental you know thing uh but unfortunately that is something that happened now um i got out of the Marines, you know, after like eight years, you know, not not too long after I had deployed. So uh, when I got out, there were other things that had started happening that weren't normal, so to speak. And, and that is that uh, I wasn't really able to hold a job anywhere. Um, I would start working like a, as a temporary, you know, person or on contract and for years and years and years um you know i would just not get hired like people didn't want to hire me and it wasn't because of any of these kinds of you know issue that i just mentioned but you know when i got out of the marines and i didn't realize this i had sort of developed this sort of permanent scowl on my face and i i uh after someone was kind enough to point it out to me that i had this unhappy look even though i was talking about how happy i was right you know they're like maybe you need to inform your face you know that you're not happy you know uh, <laughs> or that you aren't happy so um i didn't look happy even though i felt happy so there was there was some stuff going on there and uh because i i, I couldn't get hired uh you know i really wasn't like a functioning person in society And, uh, you know, everybody's got hopes of having a family and, you know, a house and all this stuff. And it's like, you know, that just wasn't something that was in the cards for me. So uh, at least that's how things were. And uh, I had friends who knew me and, you know, they were kind of worried about me. And so they encouraged me to look into, you know, seeing whether or not I might have PTSD uh, and maybe I might be able to draw a disability. Now, I, for one, and one of those people that hated, hate, hated the idea of somebody saying, hey, I've got PTSD and I can you know, draw a check for the rest of my life and all that sort of stuff. Because there's a lot of people that whenever veterans talk about PTSD, a lot of people say, oh, you're faking, you just want money, You know, that sort of thing. I was kind of one of those, well, I was one of those persons, I wasn't kind of. And uh, so there was a lot of stigma about it. Uh, and I was very reluctant to go and talk to a psychiatrist to find out if I might have PTSD. So after I went and interviewed with a doctor to find out, you know, if that's the case, he was like, yeah, you do. And, um, you know, I had gone like decades without work in terms of being an employee occasionally I would be, you know, working as an employee, but only like for short periods, like intentionally, like six months employee, one month employee, or one year employee, that sort of thing. But like at the end of the term, that was it. So that was actually, you know, kind of a, a, well, not kind of, it is like a symptom of PTSD if you're not able to hold down a job. Uh, And a lot of times the problem that would come up that I would have is that Anytime I was in a situation where somebody who is in charge makes a decision that harms people or, uh, you know, messes with them in some way, you know, uh, I would get triggered by that. So, you know, I could get triggered by lots of things, you know, it's, it's, I, I could just look at our, our government and be triggered all day. You know, uh, but uh, this was like really when it had to do with me, like I didn't want anybody to mess with me, you know. Uh, So the, the thing that I found out was that after I got diagnosed and I started doing therapy was that I had this issue and I didn't know that I had this issue. And what I learned was, is that this issue is actually something that started before I had joined the military. Now, when I was in Desert Storm, there was something that happened where there was a, a general that had made a decision and, you know, uh, a, a, several people died. And I was actually asked because I was working as a combat correspondent, billeted out as a combat correspondent, to go take pictures of the crash site and document, you know, the corpses and and that sort of thing. Uh, and I, it, there were a group of us that were invited to, you know, hey, do you want to go do this? And all of us were kind of like, well, I don't know, that that, that doesn't uh, really sound like that, that fun of a thing. Uh, right. And so we ended up getting the pictures from the, the uh, combat photographer group to, to take a look at the crash and and it, it was horrible. And, you know, the only thing that I could think about was how it is that some young guy's mom is going to be devastated because she didn't know that some general decided to do something that everybody kind of agrees. Like, well, that was kind of a dumb thing that caused this accident. She would be devastated. And it you know, could have been my mom. It could have been me in there. So um, that event really stuck with me. And it just like solidified that anger that I had as a kid growing up, where there were people who had the authority to make decisions that were bad decisions, that harmed people. And I could go into that, but like it has a lot to do with a, a abuse whenever I was a kid and, and that sort of thing. I I was actually tortured one time. I don't, I don't, I don't
1: oh my God. this
0: is something that you and I have never talked about, right? But no, like, yeah. like, I yeah, I was being babysat, you know, by these kids who were teenagers when I was like seven years old, I think. And I was kind of annoying to them because I was in their house and they gave me comic books and it wasn't really enough. I went through the comic books in a couple hours and I was bored. And I was like looking around at all the different stuff that they had. And they decided to play a game with me. And the game was that they were going to, um, uh, take me out and I forgot exactly what it was, but they tied me to this trailer and then they told me that there were snakes and this sort of thing. But the truth is, is that they tied me up and left me out in the in the sun for hours until my mom come, came to get me because they these kids were not really, you know, good at babysitting. No. So no. my mom no. made the decision to trust these kids to babysit me. Right. So, mm-hmm. you know, I was passed out whenever my mom came to pick me up. She was not happy, but still, it's like, you know, grownups, people who are in charge should, and this is just my my issue that I was telling you about, they should know better than to endanger people. So since that issue started long before I was in the military, when I was in the military, it really kind of crystallized it and, and, and made something break. Um. So I went through therapy over the past couple of years, which is really good. I've been able to see these things. There's more little stories that go with, you know, this whole thing um, that, that kind of make it make sense to me. And um, the bottom line is that I met my therapy goals and I don't see the therapist as much, which is great and there's been a lot of like self development and stuff that I've done over the years. Like I don't look like I'm angry all the time. Like I used to, you know, mm-hmm. so that's, that's been helpful. And, you know, I've been able to hold work, you know, longer now, actually, since I started doing therapy, I started a job that I'm still doing, which is really great. And it's been nice. like over two years. So that's, you know, that's a victory. That, that is uh, and, amazing. yeah. So, uh, so <laughs> I don't really know where to go with the conversation
1: because no, no, it's, it's okay. I, I can I can I, I'm just I'm listening to your story and I'm and I'm just kind of taking in what you talk about and I'm hearing that there's basically this origin wound and I believe we all have that and there's something that happens that. Same thing. It reminds me so. What you're saying reminds me so much of what my my cousin who passed away. Um, It was the same thing. He had this thing in his childhood that he just was never able to process, or he was never vindicated for it. He was he never was able to deal with it. And then what happened is, as he got into his adulthood, similar situations would happen that would trigger that wound, and it would just it was almost like pouring salt in it, and -hmm. it would just kind of rub and rub and rub. And then it gets to a place, like you said, when you were in the service where something happened and and you blacked out because of whatever. But there could have been something that night that triggered you um, or that led to those things. And so it's just really a testament to when your child is hurting at a young age. You have to start that early and often of being observant about what's going on with your children, because if you aren't, then these things will will continue to happen in, these, in, in our lives. And a lot of times, like you said, Joe, it sounds like you were some, and I'm gonna ask this question. Do you think that you were just unaware that this was what was playing out over and over and over again?
0: Um, yeah, it wasn't that I actually knew what it was that was being played out. Um, one of the great things about uh, the therapy was, it, that I sort of developed this awareness of when that issue was being triggered. And I started seeing it everywhere. Mm -hmm. And like several times a day, you know, like I would see that issue come. I'm like, oh, that's my issue there. Oh, that's my issue there. And that kind of recognition gave me the ability to kind of lighten up about it. You know, it's like, I don't get as triggered as I did. Now, that's not to say that there aren't times whenever I still, you know, get, get triggered about stuff. Um, Anything that threatens my job is something that I've got to be really, you know, very careful about. And, and instead of trying to, you know, fix it or deal with it right away, sometimes I find the best thing to do is just say, hey, you know, oh, you know, it's, the end of the day today, you know, I think I'm going to, you know, knock off for the rest of the day. Maybe I'll start an an hour early tomorrow and it will then give me the opportunity to get out of the situation and start processing it. That was Mm -hmm. something that I didn't know, you know, I could actually do and get away with. You know, it's not like anybody tells you that.
1: No, they don't. No. A lot of times when you're you're playing out your pain, you don't even understand that you're doing that. You're just reacting. That's what I found when I was in my uh, problems, because you know my, my wounds um, have a lot to do with abandonment and so and anxiety uh, for not thinking I'm gonna be rejected. And so I, I would just play these situations out in my head when I'd get into groups that nobody was gonna like me, no one was gonna accept me. And I would really sabotage myself even before I was in, in that interaction because I had so much anxiety and insecurity around around rejection and and abandonment and so um when i when i'm in a situation where i know that that's what i'm doing and what i'm and i'm acting that out um you're right it just takes a moment to take a step back and assess the situation and how did the support that you have in your life now play in in your healing journey like with your wife and your therapist
0: Oh, yeah. You know, there's, there's, here's the, here's the interesting tidbit, right? Um, You know, so I'm, I'm married, only married once, you know, so thank goodness. Uh, I, here's the interesting thing. I actually picked somebody uh, who also picked me um, that after I started, you know, like dealing with PTSD, like, Hey, this is an issue. It's, it's something I didn't really know was an issue. I just thought it was just me being me or, you know, whatever. But uh, after having a, more of an awareness of it, my wife and I would talk about it. And, you know, she kind of came to the conclusion that she probably has PTSD too. And the reason why, I mean, she grew up in a civil war. You know, she had to flee her country, literally. She actually was an uh And asali, you know, she sought asylum in the United States. So, you know, it sort of would make sense that if she thinks that she has PTSD, she probably, you know, does, um, especially considering how much it is that I've shared with her about my experiences, what I have seen, and and a lot of it is very familiar to her. So, you know, she and I are, you know, very much alike. We're very compatible in that sense. it, it, it and we also have to be sure not to you know talk about things that further deepen the problem you know like well if i were you i would do this and it's like that's the ptsd speaking and that's not necessarily what you want to do in response to a situation you know so we try to be each other's best angel in in situations because you know we both know that you know we're we're Human, you know, we have everybody has got issues, but this is like an extra layer of icing that we didn't ask for, you know. So, what are,
1: the, what are some of the symptoms of, of PTSD? I'm trying to understand differences between like, for me, I have anxiety, I have ADD, um, but what are some of the telltale symptoms that you can kind of point to for somebody if they if they if, they, if they're wondering if if they're suffering from PTSD?
0: Okay, well. Um, you know, there are a few and it's not hard to like go and, you know, do a little research, like, you know, do I have PTSD? And they'll, they'll list a few things, but one of them is suicide risk, being a suicide risk. So, you know, uh, when I was a kid, uh, from the time I was like nine until I, I, I ran away from home when I was 17. So like for a good eight years there, you know, with uh, my dad getting a divorce and my stepmother coming into my life, um, she was a very abusive person and she used to smack me across the face at least once or twice a week. Um, and you know, all because I would say things like I, I did sweep the floor, bam, (laughs) you know, it's like, she didn't want to hear that. So that's how she dealt with things. And, um, and you know that took a lot of, uh, and I blamed my dad. You know, my dad made a bad decision to bring this person into my life, and would make a decision to not intervene whenever I would tell him about what was going on. So it completely further, you know, entrenched uh, this issue. Uh, and and I could, you know, if if, if this was a therapy session, we take a few therapy sessions just to cover all the things that have happened. And, you know, um, but yeah, suicide is one of them. And so I actually, you know, had a lot of suicidal thoughts whenever I was a kid and I thought about killing people uh, who were harming me, you know? Right. So uh, it's it's not, that's not unusual. It's a, it's a uh, and I'm not a doctor. I'm, uh, you know, I'm not a therapist or anything like that. I'm not an expert, so if I say, well this is definitely proof that you have ptsd don't believe me i i'm not qualified to say that but some issues that were telltale signs for for in my case was having suicidal thoughts and a couple years ago before i started therapy uh and i was i was diagnosed with ptsd more than a couple years ago but i started having a lot of suicidal thoughts just before a couple years ago before i started this last job i was unemployed for a long time and i really felt like i was i wasn't being the provider in my family because i was making very very little money and uh and so that that thing of not being a functioning member of society not being able to provide for your family etc that could be an issue uh excessive drinking uh any kind of addictive behavior anything that is self-sabotaging that you can't seem to get rid of these are all things that could be signs of ptsd it doesn't mean that it is ptsd and it doesn't mean that you have to have served in combat either i mean you know one of the things that that i i i dislike and it's not something i can really do anything about but like you know there are some people that have been in some really Hard combat situations, unlike what I went through, completely. What I went through is a cakewalk compared to what other people had been through. So I, I don't mean to put myself on the same, you know, uh, same room as them. They have got specific combat-related issues. I was just kind of a messed up kid, you know, and that wasn't something that I knew. Uh, that was just me trying to live, you know, like, hey, I got to get out of Ohio, right, <laughs> you
1: know, to I wanna survive
0: far and start my own life, you know, so I'm sorry, what you were saying,
1: I was just saying, yeah, you were just trying to survive, survive your day to day. And, uh, you know, uh, Dr. Uh, Alex Jones uh, says here it's very true that childhood and early adult experiences have a prolonged, prolonging impact. It's absolutely true.
0: Profound impact. You know we we only get one brain when we're born you know all of the things that happen to us are stored in there and sometimes whenever we have trauma it's it's stuck in there and it doesn't come on just because we want it to or just because we you know medicate it you know or drink it the problems you know uh (laughs) you know easing your own pain with something outside of yourself is often uh, problematic in and of itself, even if you don't have PTSD, if you've got whatever issues. Um, and you and I were talking about some of the things that that one can do. Um, for me, with with PTSD, my thing was developing a very keen awareness of what my issue was. I had done a lot of self-development work before, but never had I actually really started to see and you know it's kind of like the, the the expression about how a fish doesn't see water you know a fish is just in water they don't see that they're in water if you tell the fish hey look there's water they don't see water you know mm-hmm. uh, so because we have just one brain that we're born with these issues are kind of inside like if your head was an aquarium you know it's like mm-hmm. that that there's stuff in there and you just don't mm-hmm. see it because that is the place where your thoughts you know, Emanate from, and there's all this gunk in there, you know. Right. So, because there's 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 no self awareness for it, you just people just operate like they don't know because they can't see it. And it wasn't until I started really keenly getting a, a very like you know like a hound dog sniffing out you know something. Uh, Every time that I would see it, I would start noticing it. I would start noticing. And I just got this awareness like it's always there. And so then the trick became, you know, after awareness, because that's the first step, is to not react to it. You know, don't go down that destructive response Mm -hmm. tunnel. You know, don't let yourself get sucked into a problem. Take a breath. Figure out whether or not you can step away. Um, you know, allow yourself an opportunity to, to look at it differently. Like maybe it isn't actually the way that you think it is. Maybe there's something else going on. You know, mm-hmm. uh, maybe there's just something that you don't know. And maybe there's a kind way that you can ask and find out. Right. Um, because otherwise I would just get angry. And that really doesn't help anybody. And people don't want the guy like that around.
1: Yeah,
0: uh, sure. So yeah, you know, uh, it, but it's that, it's that uh, first it's the awareness and then it's like finding a response that will not make a situation worse for them or for myself. Uh, and then the other thing is, you know, finding ways of doing something with others in a, you know, like a community setting, something where you can volunteer, uh, some something where you can make yourself useful uh, to your community or to an organization that you believe in. Um, that's something that really helps. You know, um, uh, it, it takes attention away from your own issues
1: mm-hmm. as a person
0: and gives you an opportunity to actually make a difference for somebody else, which feels good, number one. Mm-hmm. Uh, but number two, it makes your own, you know, um, problem smaller, you know? It's like whenever you put others first, uh, not in a, not in a bad way, right? but like when you put others first and you, 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 give your time to something, then it has a lot of rewards. Um, you and I were talking just before this about this, uh, this Ted talk, and I'll try to find it. And maybe you can post the link to I
1: it. So. Yeah, sure yeah.
0: This really great organization that talks about how it is that uh, uh, people who are addicts, uh, alcohol or drugs or whatever, uh, ended up uh, going through a lot of different treatment programs and relapsing and these this group of people formed their own community where they would as a group get together go out in the, the woods and hike or go you know um, mountain biking or you know they would go you know uh, skydiving or something like that but as a group they would go together and do things and the reason why this group was uh, people were drawn to it is because even though they were addicts, no one was allowed to actually talk about this label, you know, an addict, Mm
1: -hmm. all
0: of the stigma disappears without the label. And so they were actually, you know, like they joined this group and they could do things with others that are fun and, you know, bond with other people and learn from other people just by listening to their stories and what they've been through which is part of the success of AA. But unfortunately with AA, I think there's quite a bit of stigma. And this group in particular, they did some statistics on how many people relapsed into their addictions and it was lower than it was for AA. And so this
1: is really great. Not to interrupt, but the problem sometimes with AA and some of the anonymous groups that, that I experienced is you go there, you sit in a room for an hour and everybody just, Rehashes and talks about and it's good because sometimes it's the only place where you're going to feel heard and I can tell you that you know some of my experiences in those rooms were so powerful. Because it was the only place where I I really felt like I could have the deeper conversations with people uh, that would listen to some of the things I was going through but. To take it one step further Joseph is what you're talking about where it's like okay let's take it out of the problems and let's put it into something a little bit more constructive.
0: Yeah. um, yeah, Two things about that. One is that uh, sometimes people don't know when they do this thing that's called trauma sharing. You know, it's like they always complain about the same particular thing over and over Mm -hmm. in a way that's not constructive. And I'm not saying that, you know, uh, uh, AA is not constructive. but I know. know. People just tend to do this. It's like if you work in a place and it's like somebody is talking about the same, you know, thing over and over. It's like, oh my gosh, you know, it's like, when are you going to, you know, do something about this? You know, I have really? a friend of mine who's been complaining about this one particular issue and she just won't do anything about it. And I can't make her, you know, and she's a good friend. I really think she's awesome. She just won't do something about this particular problem. And it really, you know, I, I have really? compassion for her because I understand she's afraid of mm-hmm. doing something. I can understand that. Right, yeah. But on the other hand, it's like you know, I I I I know that that's a thing that people do. Sometimes they 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 want to feel heard, and so they keep talking about it. But unfortunately, they tend to people tend to tune out to just to people who don't want to do something about it.
1: Right, Right. Uh, just have somebody to pump all their problems, Ellen. And sometimes you have to have a boundary uh, against that as the person on the receiving end and say, okay, it, enough is enough. I, I can only listen to your your problem that you're not willing to fix or you're not willing to do anything about uh, for so, so many times. Um, I'm sure people felt the same way about me every time I would call them up and tell them about my male men problems that were Balloon. very much a repetitive cycle because I kept being drawn to the same type of partner and I wasn't learning from the mistakes that I was making And I kept making those mistakes over and over again, because I had this attachment wound that wasn't healed. And so a different type of partner wasn't going to come into my life until I faced the fact that until I established boundaries with people, I was never going to find a healthy partner. And that took a lot of years to unpack.
0: Yeah, I have a similar story. I mean, I literally, I can tell you for a fact, I was never gonna get married, never gonna have kids. I was like forty years old, uh, you know, never, never married. You know, I was just that guy who's never going to be able to settle down. Uh, you know, part of it was that I enjoyed being single. You know, I admit, but at a certain point, you know, I had to really assess whether or not that was what I really wanted. You know, and. Of course, you know, my complaints were always like, oh, well, you know, they're like this, they're like that. And it's like, you know, nothing ever works out. Um, So, yeah, I I, I get what you're saying. Um, It's easy to get, uh, develop a story about what's happening. And then you believe the story because you repeat Mm -hmm. it so many times. Mm -hmm. And if the story doesn't have a happy ending, well, then you feel really sad about it. You know, right. and it's like it isn't until, you know, maybe if you're if you uh this is the other thing that I was I was, was going to mention. If you've got a therapist who can listen to your problems, they're not they they shouldn't just listen to your problems without probing in there and saying, hey, you know, what if you looked at it this way? Uh Hey, what if you did this? What What, what do you think would happen? And start engaging in other than just trauma sharing but really looking at like okay um let's say that you know you grew up in a family of carpenters and you know the 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 all of the tools were available to you to build a cabinet everything that you could possibly want to build all the tools are there and then you know you you go into a world where everything is computers. Nothing translates. You don't know, you can't bring a hammer to a computer problem and expect to get the results that you want. And unfortunately, people don't think about this, but whenever you grow up in a family and they are not equipped to deal with life in a really productive way, you can't learn anything from them, That's you know? a good
1: metaphor. Yeah, yeah. I never Is thought that, about that from a toolbox yeah. perspective. Where, where
0: will you actually get the kind of uh, information or, or mentoring or parenting, you know? It's the lack of parenting. They, if, if your parents don't really know how to thrive in the world, this is one of the reasons why people who are rich are because their parents were rich. They understand the language. They understand what to do. They, they have seen these problems. Their parents have faced them. Their parents teach them, hey, this happened to me. You know, make sure that this doesn't happen to you. Or this happened to my friend who's a banker. You know, they understand money. Money is their carpenter, carpenter tool shed, you know. So it, it, it's just the, 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 the lack of tools that you get growing up. You know, if, you're, if your parents are into, you know, if your, your dad is somebody who works in a coal mine and your mom is somebody who takes care of home, your chances of going into Harvard are like next to nothing unless you get some kind of influence that will help to get you there. And that is really one of the important things that I really learned about therapy. I didn't have somebody that I could really have a straight conversation with about like, am I crazy? Or is this like this, you know? And my therapist would be like, well, I I can understand why you see things that way, given your experience. Maybe it's not that way. Maybe it could be this way. And so it's just kind of learning like, okay, Hey, let's get you out of woodwork and into computers. You know, it's just getting you out of the limited tool set that you had before and putting you into a new environment with a different tool set. So for me, that was just kind of the start, I think, of me kind of having some breakthroughs in PTSD, which is not to say that I'm completely cured because from what I have heard, um, you know, it never goes away. You just really have to uh, be vigilant about your own uh, responses so that you don't end up, you know, spiraling. Uh, I, I, I mentioned in my bio uh, that I have a friend of mine who was a volunteer with me with this organization that I'm, I'm with. And he killed himself last year. He hung himself. And, you know, he had lost his mom the year before, and then uh, in 2020, and then he lost his stepdad in 2021. And he had a falling out with his dad, his biological father, some years back. And so he felt that the only family that he had was his mom and his stepdad. And when they died, he was left with the house. And he he was tasked with going and you know cleaning up the house. And he had years and years of you know stuff that he, you know, remembered growing up with and everything like that and he was doing it like by himself and he was an uh, alcoholic he was recovered and he started drinking again and he ended up killing himself in in a matter of a few weeks of going through all of the stuff in this house and i didn't know what was going on he was not open with me about it he's one of the nicest people i've ever met you know it's like he's one of those people that like if you get a flat tire at two o'clock in the morning you call him; he'll actually come and get you. You know, I'm one of those people too, and it's hard to find people like that. You know, right. so um, my wife and I both miss him a lot. Everybody who knew him in our area, we all really miss him a great deal. And you know, the thing that the thing that I I walked away with that experience, because you know, we went to the uh, Veterans Memorial, uh, the Veterans uh, what graveyard, whatever that i'm trying to think of what that's, that's called um and you know we buried him and uh the thing that i i kept thinking was is that the 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 guy who killed my friend wasn't my friend does that make sense
1: Yeah, so this guy was my something friend something overcame him or something came into him that was yeah. not the person that you interacted with every day that was a side to him yes. that unfortunately he never felt safe sharing with anyone and he just took all that on until it just overcame him, um, because that, that's, thats what exactly, it is. when in your head, that's what happens. Yeah, you go to really dark places. Yeah,
0: I know, uh, and I mean, I've been there myself. And the he thing did. that I kind of think now is that it's very likely that he had PTSD and it was just undiagnosed and untreated. You know, yeah. and this is why it is that when people you know share these memes about like, oh yeah, twenty-two veterans you know, every year die, or sorry, every day. 22 yeah. veterans daily are killing themselves. Uh, and by the way, the numbers have been dropping a little bit over the past two years. I don't know if you know that or not. Um, I just was just looking at those stats. And um, regardless, it's still about 150% higher right. than a normal person in the United States. Uh, so veterans are like 150% more likely to uh, kill themselves. And how many undiagnosed cases of PTSD do you think there might be out there with people killing themselves like that? So my thing is that uh, somebody was ribbing somebody on Facebook about how it is. I'm like, oh yeah, you know, uh, you people are, you know, just trying to get money from the government and stuff. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, I actually commented to them. I said, look, you know, there's 22 veterans a day killing themselves. Do you really think that they want that like, do you, do you think that there's those people who might want to apply to get PTSD so that they can get treatment? Do you really think that they want the money? <laughs> you know, like that's, that's really what they're after. Maybe they want to heal. Maybe they don't wanna feel like their, their life would be better if they were not alive anymore. That the, the amount of pain that they have inside them is, you know, so great that they can't live anymore. You know, they're better off dead because it, the pain will be over, you know. We feel a lot of compassion for people who have been uh, sick and suffering with cancer and then they finally pass, you know. We're, we we say, oh, well, at least they're not suffering anymore. That's how somebody who wants to kill themselves feels about them, their own life. They feel the pain will at least stop. They won't have to experience it, wake up every day into that same pain.
1: Right. I I know. It's hard. Yeah, I- i've never been suicidal to be honest with you but i have been to a place where i just didn't even look forward to every day it's always been when i was alone and i didn't have anyone and i had no good plan on how to find a partner or what what it was that i I was supposed to do to 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 find a healthy person and i just didn't know how to date smartly or any of that and i can just remember i mean especially when i was in between moves that's always been like the hardest part was i had a move right before i came out to washington state where i ended up meeting my husband but I went through a breakup and then my dog died. And I had about three or four months where I wasn't working very much. And every single day I just dreaded because there was just, I felt like I had nothing to live for. I mean, I knew I was moving and I was going to a new job and, but I was going to a place where I didn't know anybody. I didn't have any friends. I was 40 years, I mean, I was 39, 39 years old. Everybody's married, everybody has kids. Yeah. And you just feel so alone and isolated. Like, I, I just don't know how I can even describe that feeling to anyone, because there's just nobody in my day-to-day that could understand. I ended up becoming friends with a girl in her 20s, mid-20s, mm-hmm. but still friends to this day. Oh, and good. she was just my my texting friend, and she was the only person that I could really talk to, because she was going through a breakup, too. And at, we were probably, at that moment, at the same maturity level as well, because mm-hmm. I, I just I didn't have any tools in my toolbox at that moment to deal with that pain. And, and and it was helpful to just have some of those people in my life. And that's how I got through it. Was I had a couple girlfriends, two or three, that I would just talk to pretty routinely. Um, but it was it was a very painful experience. So I I, I well I have never I'm probably just too terrified to kill myself, but um I've never been suicidal, but I've definitely felt completely isolated and it's an intent it's an incredibly hard feeling. And hopefully this, this podcast is, is one way, it's a small way, but one way to let people out there know that they're not alone, that there are resources, there is help. There are people who will share their stories and will build communities around them and start Facebook groups or do, do something uh, to get out there. And so I guess that's probably maybe a, a good way to sort of segue to, you know, what what if you're having these feelings and you're feeling this isolated and before i ask that question i'm sorry i do want to get over to dr alex jones he had a couple things he says he can totally relate uh to finding the right partner so he he (laughs) understands that too and he says blaming on a personal and organizational level can create impact as well and i tap that in my book disleadership and then he talks yeah that sounds exciting i
0: love organizational development i mean you know i I I have kind of become an expert on like uh, uh, a process specialist, which means that I can look at an organizational flow of things and I can find problems, which was probably something that I got from having PTSD.
1: <laughs> oh, I bet, I bet. He also said um, those numbers, and I think he's talking about the suicide numbers, uh, statistically are shocking, and it's still high. Veterans deserve much better treatment and care. They served our nation with their lives and souls. Thank you to all the veterans out there thank you we appreciate that alex very very yeah, much yeah. chris larson uh, says uh dr mark gordon can help please reach out he works with veterans so there's a link cool. down here cool. to somebody who also works with people yeah there, there are resources out there and there are there's so many good veterans organizations and let's go ahead and do that little segue what is it that if somebody is out there and they're they're listening to this show tonight and they're feeling lonely they're feeling Maybe suicidal, they're feeling like nobody cares. What are some of the things, you know, they're feeling isolated, they don't think anyone will ever understand what they're going through. What is it that you suggest that they do?
0: Okay, well, first, the VA has some really great resources uh, for somebody who may be having suicidal thoughts. Um, there's a helpline that's 24 7, that's manned by volunteers. As a matter of fact, uh, my therapist, uh, works as a volunteer with that, uh, helpline. And so there's some really, yeah. And he's great. Gosh, you know, it's like, I, I, I so happy with what it is that I got from working with him that my wife was, you know, interested in working with him as well. But unfortunately he can't because he works for the VA and, you know, he's not a private practice person. So there are, uh, um, Helplines that are available. Yeah, even home. if you're not
1: in the military too, there's helplines. Yeah,
0: exactly. And there, are, yes, if you're not in the military, if you're not a veteran, there are plenty of helplines and they're usually staffed by people that are trained uh, either professionals or they're trained volunteers that know how to make sure that you get the right person or they can put somebody on. They really you know know that you need to talk to somebody. Uh, so that's, that's one thing. But I think that another thing is... is just exactly like you were saying uh teresa that having friends uh you know and and at times it can be really hard you know especially if you know you're somebody like me and you come out of the marines and you got the scowl on your face like who the heck would want to be friends with that guy you know you know I, i i i i talked about this with you before the podcast it's like the way the only way i could say it is that i had this don't fuck with me face You know, it's like, you know, I just didn't want people to think that they could take advantage of me. You know, like I didn't want anybody to even imagine that they could harm me in any way by lying to me, uh, getting me to trust them when I shouldn't, you know, that sort of thing. So as a result, I I was, you know, very alone. And um, it took me a long time to learn to, you know, relax and to trust and you know, trust has always been really hard for me.
1: Me too. <laughs> uh,
0: I was—I I mentioned that I was abused whenever I was a kid. You know, I was sexually abused. Uh, you know, at, at like the age of five. So, you know, trust has kind of been a bit of an issue. Uh, so, yeah, you know, I, I think that I think that everybody has some issues with trust. Some people have very healthy healthy relationship with trust. Uh, and I think that that's something that it isn't learned easily, you know, uh, it's like the thing about like growing up in a family of carpenters and everything can be fixed with the tools in the shed, you know, trust is one of those issues that, you know, how do you, how no, do why? you, unless you have somebody that you can learn from that really is wise and, you know, uh, uh, even, you know, successful, you know people don't become successful without having a good relationship with trust. You can't do everything yourself. So you have to learn how to trust people in a way that you can succeed because you can't do everything yourself. Uh, You know, it's like being a CEO, you know, the, the, the best, uh, sorry, most important thing about being a CEO is learning how to delegate because you can't know everything yourself and you can't do everything yourself. You have to know how to get the most out of people, and, you know, uh, trust people to do the job. So, you know, part of trust is like verifying, you know, like being able to go to people and say, hey, you know, uh, we talked about doing this. You said you were going to do it. Did you do it? That's all a part of trust as well. How mm-hmm. do you go and ask somebody, hey, you said you were going to do this, or if somebody's late, you know, doing something, how do yes. you go to them without making them mad and, you know, mm-hmm. finding out what's going on? It's That's a mm-hmm. skill. It it's is dark. a skill.
1: Yeah, you can work. have
0: a degree in management and they don't teach that.
1: Mm-hmm. It is because people tend to get I've found, you know, very, very sensitive about the fact that you don't trust them or that <laughs> things aren't done to a certain standard. And, you know, I, I, I've definitely struggled with that and I think I'll still continue to struggle with it because um, it, it is just one of those things where it just takes um like like chris uh, larson said right here you know trust but verify so you you, you do you really have to continue to verify and make sure things are to the standard because sometimes people just don't even know what your uh expectations are i mean they think they know your expectations but maybe maybe they don't and so you have to be very fair and gentle with other people and then also fair to yourself about when something is repeatedly not done to a certain standard and you can show that it's not been done to a certain standard well then you have no other choice but to hold that person accountable that helps them helps your organization as well because it shows people that there's there's a sense of fairness and that there will be you know there will be consequences um if if a standard's not adhered to so yeah um,
0: and the other thing too is that really great organizations you know they tend to go away from the micromanaging uh a paradigm, you know, it's like, they don't need to like check every little thing that you do. Those are great organizations. Can you imagine being, you know, like a leader in that organization where you really have to like say, hey, this is, this. I only need these three things. You know, I trust you to go and do them without even managing them as they go along, you know, uh, trust but verify, but like, at what point do you verify? You know, do you-
1: (laughs) Yeah. Can you wait
0: until the end? You know, Mm -hmm. like, can you hold out that long? Or is there some other way of doing it? It's not an easy answer. You know, some people just can't do that. (laughs) And And those
1: are are not good leaders. I mean, some people are just really good at being uh, doers and they're really good at, at, at just executing the task, but they might not. And and not everybody has to be a leader, you Mm -hmm. know, not everybody needs that needs to have that role in order to be successful and to be satisfied with life. There, we have a lot of amazing, you know, makers that I've that I've had on the podcast that might not run a team, but they run themselves very well and they make great products and they create and they they're artists. So there, there's you know, it takes all kinds in this world uh, to yeah. be successful. And part of life is just figuring out the kind of person that you want to be. Do you want to yeah. be a leader? Do you want to be a maker, do you wanna be a creator, an artist? I'm definitely, I mean, I I enjoy leadership to a degree, but I'm definitely a maker and I'm definitely a doer. And so um, I I have to balance those two things because I don't always wanna just be overseeing. I like to be in the tasks and I like doing the work. I like that feeling of knowing that I created something and then it had this result. And so, getting to the end of our show here i see we're kind of at the top of the hour and i want to thank uh chris larson and uh dr alex jones he's coming all the way by the way from dubai so uh thank you so much for for all joining right. us yeah from dubai I'm a regular I,
0: listener too i really like your podcast so yeah yeah thank
1: you, appreciated. this is a labor of love and I, like i said the other night i will continue to do this as long as i have you know an audience and guests who are who are willing to come on the show and and, and I think we'll close this out because my podcast is Stories of Service. Um, give me an example of, of what some of the ways in which you think people can show up and perform acts of service.
0: Uh, yeah, you know, there's an interesting thing. There was a, um, I remember that, that, that when I, this was like decades ago and I was a volunteer with an organization and I, I, I helped people with projects. So like, you know, they, they wanted to do a project in their community and we, we would teach them how to do these projects and we would teach people how to interview people to bring them in as mentors and stuff like that. So one of the things that uh, uh, I, I learned was that if I feel like crap, uh, the best thing for me to do is to be in a situation Where I can help somebody just by picking up the phone and saying, Hey, how are you doing on your project? You know? Uh, So, and I'm currently involved with a a global nonprofit and we do projects in the community, that sort of thing. Uh, And so, by being involved, by being available to people who might need help, uh, that is one of the best ways to easily be able to quickly get yourself out of a funk is to be in a situation where you can pick up the phone and say, Hey, how you been? How are things going at your local chapter? You know, how, how are things going? Is there anything I can help you with? You know, I remember you telling me that you had this issue going on. How is that going? It just takes you right out of being in a funk and into service. So, I I can't say, like, I don't want to say specific. yeah, go go join this or go join that, but find yourself in a situation where you can pick up the phone and be able to help someone do things that they're trying to accomplish. It's not necessarily being a mentor, but like, just, just be that person that whenever people, you know, whenever you call them, they're like, oh, hey, you know, I'm glad you called, you know, yeah, this is going on, what do you think, you know? So try to find yourself in in those kinds of situations, because it's it's definitely kept me out of uh, being in those really dark, dark spaces. Mm-hmm. So that's my answer.
1: No, I love it. I, I can totally relate. I'm the exact same way. I, uh, I've, I've gotten out of a lot of my funks and crappy periods by holding a sign in front of a pet store and saying, don't buy your puppies at this puppy mill pet store. So wow. I, I get it. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you everybody so much for joining us uh, for another episode. We're going to try to do these once a week. I'm going back to the day shift now. So that is Uh exciting. So my hours might change or these shows, show times might change a little, but I thank all of you for joining us tonight. Enjoy the rest of your evening or your day, wherever you are and have a great night. Bye-bye everybody. Thanks a lot. Take care.